Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It is time for the tech news for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. Also, if this episode sounds a little different, it's because I'm actually in the office today and using a slightly different microphone setup. So that's why. Now let's get to the news. If you listened to Tuesday's news episode of Tech Stuff, you heard me talk about how Elon Musk declined an offer to join Twitter's board of directors. And that one of the potential reasons for that might have been that if he had joined the board of directors, he would have to agree to a limit of no more than 14.9% of Twitter's shares. He would not be allowed to purchase more than that. So the implication there being that Elon potentially wanted to control Twitter. That would require him to own at least 51% of Twitter's stakes. Well, now it sounds like phase two of his plan has launched because Bloomberg reports Musk has made an offer to buy Twitter for $54.20 per share. That would bring 
the total valuation of Twitter's uh, purchase to around $43 billion. Now, this would be an outright hostile takeover or potentially a hostile takeover, uh, with Musk attempting to convince current shareholders to sell off their shares at a premium markup. And in pre-market trading, Twitter's shares were around $48 per share. So Musk is giving a bit of a markup on that cost. And he's hoping the offer he makes is one that big shareholders just can't refuse. Now, Twitter's board was fairly diplomatic in its response, saying it would review the offer and respond in whatever way was in the best interest of Twitter's stockholders. This is by no means a surefire deal. Last year, Twitter shares climbed to $70 per share. So it shows the company has hit much higher highs than where it's at right now, and even higher highs than Musk's offer. So that has been enough to suggest, at least to some analysts, that Musk's offer, while significant, is still far too low for Twitter shareholders to take it seriously. Uh, and Musk himself has said it's the best and last offer that he'll he'll make. Uh, he also seems to have implicitly threatened that he's going to, you know, offload all his stock if this deal doesn't go through, which could have a negative effect on Twitter's share price. So it's almost like, like some people are saying it's almost like he's he's committing a, almost a, a kind of extortion when you look at it that way. Uh, it's not what I'm saying because uh, I don't want to get sued. But that is what some folks, particularly over on Reddit, which, you know, the most level-headed people in the world are on Reddit. Uh, but a lot of them are, are kind of making that that argument uh, whether or not that's the case, I can't say. Uh, but as for how I feel about this, uh, Twitter is the one social platform that I still hang out on regularly now. But y'all have probably picked up on the fact that I am not the world's biggest Elon Musk fan. So if his deal were to go through, I feel like I would just kind of fade away from Twitter too. And that would leave me no option but to scream my daily Wordle scores out the window to anyone who can hear me. But we're not there yet. In related Musk news, a former Tesla employee sued the company last year, alleging that he was the target of racial abuse at the factory where he worked. Uh, he was an elevator operator there. And at the end of that, that court case, a jury found in the employee's favor and awarded him nearly $137 million. So why am I talking about now? Well, we finally got to a federal judge you know, upholding the verdict. But in the process, the judge slashed the jury awarded amount and, and reduced it down to $15 million. That's still obviously a huge chunk of change, but it's far from the massive rebuke that the jury had intended against Tesla. In metaverse news, the tech world is abuzz after discovering that Meta, the parent company of Facebook, intends to slap a 47.5% fee on all transactions that take place regarding digital experiences and items within Horizon Worlds, which is the company's virtual environment platform. So people are essentially saying this is showing us Facebook's plan for the metaverse, right? That Facebook wants to dominate the metaverse and then force anyone who wants to interoperate within that world to pay nearly 50% of every transaction to Facebook itself. And it really does sound like Meta is taking a big page out of Apple's book and then cranking the dial up to 11. Uh, 
again, like if you want to do business within Meta's space, then you have to funnel that business through Meta's processing system. And by doing that, you incur two different fees. One of those fees is a hardware platform fee that applies to all sales that go through the MetaQuest store, which is kind of akin to the app store on smartphones. It's where users would purchase, you know, games and experiences and that kind of thing. And then there's a 17.5% fee charged against the Horizon VR platform itself. And as you can imagine, being told to play in the space is going to cost you nearly half of every sale you make hasn't floated over so well in the developer community. And I feel this is really where we're seeing Meta pour so much money into the metaverse. You know, this is why it's happening, because it's a mad dash to become the biggest and preferably the only metaverse game in town. If you dominate it, then you get to dictate what the what the the terms are, right? You're the one who sets all the rules. So it would give Meta all the leverage in the world to charge whatever they wanted and restrict access however they liked and exploit the technology in whichever ways are going to make the most money. From a business perspective, that's kind of what capitalism is all about, right? Like it's that's that's what the machine is geared for. But from a quality of life and fairness perspective, it really kind of bites. Meanwhile, Apple uh, took the opportunity to fire a shot across the bow of Meta. MarketWatch got a quote from Fred Sains of Apple that blasted Meta for repeatedly criticizing Apple in the past for its 30% cut for in-app transactions. But then, of course, Meta turns around and heaps an even bigger cut for its own community of merchants and developers in the Horizon world space. So Apple isn't so much defending its own practice. Instead, it's saying Facebook really wants to use Apple for free and they say we're greedy. But then look at the shenanigans they're pulling now. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but I feel like that's an accurate depiction of what is going on here. Meanwhile, Apple still faces opposition all around the world when it comes to how it conducts itself with in-app purchases and Apple's own payment processing system. My guess is that Meta's plan will similarly become the focus of scrutiny by regulators everywhere at some point. But right, right now, the company could be in the clear simply because we're so far away from a metaverse actually being a thing anyway that regulators might not see that there's very much to regulate as of yet. But yeah, things are starting to get a little spicy. Vice has a couple of articles about Amazon and its ongoing struggles against unionization attempts. On April 13th, Lauren Kaori Gurley's article, Amazon Cracks Down on Organizing After Historic Union Win, and then today, Gurley has another article titled Amazon Labor Union is Inspiring Amazon Workers Around the Country to Unionize. So we've got kind of two sides of a coin going on here. So the first bit concerns the employees at the Staten Island, New York warehouse. Uh, these Amazon employees recently passed a vote to form a union, and now they're going to have union elections coming up later this month. Meanwhile, according to employee complaints, Amazon reps have been busy removing pro-union literature and signage and holding mandatory anti-union meetings on an even, you know, more frequent basis, and the company has hired high-powered union-busting consultants to work on this. The complaints include allegations of illegal activity because it is against the law for a company to remove or toss pro-union literature that's in designated break areas, and if that is, in fact, what has been happening, because, again, I'm basing this purely on employee reports, 
and the reporting of Vice that, um, that you know, the company could really get into trouble for doing this, for, for conducting illegal union-busting tactics. However, that is something that could take months just to get into the court system and months more to resolve. And that's assuming anyone actually presses formal charges on this matter. So Amazon could just be employing a strategy to cause as much trouble as possible in, in order to head things off, mitigate the impact of unionization, break the union spirit as, as quickly as possible, and then just deal with any consequences that happen later on. However, all that might actually end up biting Amazon on the butt because the second of those two articles indicates that a lot of other Amazon facilities around the United States are showing signs of organizing in the wake of the Staten Island warehouse vote. And it's even possible that Amazon's actions could anger more people into taking action. And I've been saying for a while now that I'm getting the sense there's this growing labor movement here in the United States. I, I feel it's still in that growing phase, and it does have the potential to snowball into a full-on labor revolution. But I want to stress, I'm talking about potential here. Nothing is ever a guarantee. It's also possible that down the road, we're going to look back on this time in history and just see it as kind of a, a brief flash in the pan that quickly fizzled out. That could happen too. It really just depends upon the will of the workers. But I don't know. I think I can hear the people sing. By the way, uh, both of those articles on Vice are well worth a read. You should definitely check those out. We've got some more news stories to cover in today's episode. Before we get to that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. 
Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We're back. There's an ongoing blacklist uh, in the United States against certain companies in China. That blacklist means ain't no one here in the U.S. supposed to sell components to those companies without the express permission of the U.S. government in the form of a special license. Now a U.S. company called Synopsys is under investigation for doing just that. The company makes software for electronic design automation. So this is a kind of software that helps chip designers, like semiconductor chip designers, lay out their architecture. And it's one of many important pieces in the microchip and semiconductor industries. The U.S. Department of Commerce is investigating to see if Synopsys supplied either directly or through affiliates this kind of software to companies connected to the telecommunications company Huawei. Now, if you've been following tech news for a while, you might remember that Huawei is a company that fell into the U.S. government's crosshairs a couple of years ago. Huawei makes lots of stuff, including components for telecommunications infrastructure, and many U.S.-based telecommunications companies relied on Huawei technology. But after critics raised concerns that Huawei could use embedded tech to potentially spy on Americans and share that information with the Chinese government, there was a seismic shift. Telecommunications providers were given deadlines to extract Huawei tech from their systems, and Huawei in general was put on this blacklist. Now, in order to sell legally to Huawei, as I mentioned earlier, a company first has to obtain a special license from the U.S. government. According to these allegations, that's something that Synopsys may not have done. Now, for its part, Synopsys denies it has done anything wrong. It claims that it has abided by all laws and regulations. So we'll have to wait for the outcome of the investigation to see if the authorities agree. And it could p possibly be the case. It could very well be that this is just a very complicated thing. Synopsys did nothing wrong. And we go from there. We have to wait and find out. But speaking of China, the conglomerate Tencent will be cracking down on a service that previously would allow Chinese gamers to access certain foreign games that weren't on the approved list by uh, the Chinese government for Chinese consumption. Now, one story we've seen play out over the last couple of years is China's authorities pushing back against the tech sector in particular. The government has issued tighter regulations and restrictions and closed a lot of loopholes that existed earlier. One of those was this platform that would let people in China use apps that would give them a speed boost, and that would allow them to access certain games, including games from overseas. Now Tencent is going to restrict those apps so that they only interface with games that are operating within China itself. So those apps are essentially, like I said, it's a speed boost. It's a way for users to make use of higher bandwidth internet connections because the typical internet connection in China is far too slow to allow for things like gaming. You, you just, it's not 
practical for that. Uh, so you could use these apps. You could become a customer and use these apps. And by that way, access gaming. And some people are doing it to access games from other countries. Uh, this is going to be tough, not just on gamers, but also for all those game companies that saw the apps as a kind of hush-hush way to tap into the truly massive market of Chinese gamers. U.S. cryptocurrency enthusiast Virgil Griffith has been sentenced for more than five years in jail after pleading guilty on charges of helping North Korea find ways to sidestep sanctions. Griffith advised North Korean government officials on how they could leverage cryptocurrencies like Ethereum to ignore sanctions against them from other countries, as well as to do stuff like launder money. You know, the stuff that regulators have said for a long time is something they are concerned about when it comes to cryptocurrency. Uh, but it's something that a lot of crypto bros often wave off or ignore. They're like, oh, you're just scared of losing your power. But then we get actual instances of this happening. It's really, I think, a big step back for the crypto community when one of their recognized experts in the field is practicing the very thing that regulators have been scared about the whole time. And to be clear, I'm not saying that cryptocurrency is inherently bad or that it's even mainly used for illegal activities. What I'm saying is that cryptocurrency is very well suited for those types of illegal activities. And so it shouldn't surprise us when some people put it to that very specific use. Anyway, North Korea is by no means a friendly country to the United States, so it comes as little surprise that Griffith received a fairly stiff penalty here. Uh, my guess is it would have been even more severe had he pled not guilty and it had gone to trial, assuming, of course, that he had ultimately been found uh, guilty of the crime. So it could have been worse, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yesterday, several U.S. agencies issued warnings that cybersecurity researchers had discovered malware tools created by quote-unquote unnamed advanced threat actors. This comes from an article from The Guardian, which is titled U.S. Federal Alert Warns of the Discovery of Malicious Cyber Tools. So the threat actors in question design malware tools specifically meant to interface with industrial control systems. Now, these are not like your standard personal computers. These are purpose-built systems that are in charge of handling really important and really specific tasks, like it might be a system that connects to a power grid or the system that connects to a natural gas facility, and it controls not just computer systems but also actual, like, you know, valves and things like that. Um, anyway, we're talking about these similar large industrial complex systems that typically are very tightly integrated into our infrastructure. Now, this is not a, a new thing for us to see threats to these types of institutions. Several years ago, a lengthy investigation found evidence that cyber spies had compromised computer and electromechanical systems in the power grid in the United States, as well as other infrastructure, and that those spies were likely either from China or working on behalf of the Chinese. As for this latest round, the current suspicion is that the attackers are connected to Russia, but there's no firm evidence on the matter that has been shared so far. Details on the matter are scarce, but according to one U.S. official, uh, agents were able to discover the malware before they could actually be used in an attack. So that's a good thing. Finally, Disney has shut down an unauthorized copy of the game Club Penguin. It was called Club Penguin Rewritten and thus evicted thousands of online players. All right, 
you might not know what this is. Club Penguin was this online RPG that was marketed to younger audiences. And in the game, players would be little cartoon penguins, and they could do all sorts of cutesy stuff, playing various little games and things. Well, Disney bought that property in 2007, spending an incredible $700 million to do so. Uh, I'm not sure what $700 million for Club Penguin comes out to in terms of per pound of Penguin, but it's got to be a lot. However, over the course of the following decade, Club Penguin's relevance began to fade, and Disney ultimately decided to shut down the main game. Uh, They launched a couple of related products that didn't last very long either, and fans would occasionally decide that they would get a copy of the code for the game and host it on a private server or a shared server, and they would invite other folks to come and play. Now, sometimes... This led to pretty shady situations and dangerous situations where, uh, you know, you, you had some some skeevy stuff happening. And Disney, perhaps the most enthusiastic defender of copyright and IP that ever existed, would go after these servers after discovering them. And that is what happened with Club Penguin Rewritten. The server hosting the copy was in England and Disney got hold of the City of London police And pretty soon the server administrators willingly surrendered the server to the authorities and it got shut down. This is one of those situations where I can kind of see both sides of the issue. For fans, it is really frustrating when a big company purchases an IP and then doesn't do anything with it. They just hold on to it. And that means no one can do anything with it. Meanwhile, you might really want to see another game or another product in that line and there's nothing you can do about it. On the other hand... This is also a property that Disney owns, so it has the right to do nothing with it if it wants to. It it stinks, but it can. Um, And if someone is ripping off the game and shady stuff is going on, that can reflect badly on Disney. I mean, they do own the property. It can still tarnish Disney's reputation, so they have a vested interest in going after those kinds of things and shutting it down. But we end this episode saluting our fallen penguin friends. May you sled merrily through the cyber afterlife. That's it for this episode. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, you better get in those requests quick on Twitter because once Elon Musk owns the place, I am out. But the handle we use is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With Simone Bogris, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.